Good afternoon. My name is Leah Dixon, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Gaglium for Fridays with Pastor Bob. This is our weekly radio program where Pastor Bob answers your questions about current events, relevant topics, and tough issues. Today we're going to talk about marriage, but not necessarily how-tos for having a good marriage, although that might be part of it. But instead, we're really going to focus on God's genius behind the institution. But Pastor Bob, I kind of want to start out with some disturbing statistics. Um, We hear that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And of those who stay married, only 30% of people are happy. And this really doesn't get better for Christians. I mean, we're really looking at the same statistics. Um, And in general, we're just seeing a decline for the institution of marriage. So maybe you can give us some biblical orientation of how to look at this and how to kind of handle this in today's culture. Well, there's a lot of doom and gloom hanging out there. Um, Kind of a perfect storm scenario for traditional marriage. And when we say traditional marriage, that's a Western one man, one woman for life. Uh, Not only statistics you mentioned, but you know, we have this cultural war now going on. Same-sex marriage, I don't know how many states are trying to get it on the ballot, but we have that going on. Um, is it a man and a man, a woman and a woman? Um, and then the the whole idea of what are the millennials thinking? We, we keep mm. forgetting this. They're 18 to 35, and they're challenging everything. They're asking questions like, why are we doing this? Is this because our parents did it? They were also raised in homes um, where marriages struggle. And they're starting to look at cohabitation and open marriages. And so, yeah, the, there's there's a convergence of factors that look like we might be moving towards a post-marriage society. Mm. I mean, really, from what I see, you know, what might be wrong with that? Well, there's a ton wrong with it. <laughs> um, there's a ton wrong with it because... Obviously, marriage came out of the mind of God, and, and, and here's what happened. If you read Genesis, God creates the world in six days. He rests on the seventh. Everything's good. In fact, it's very good on the sixth day when man's created. And then in chapter 2, verse 8, God says something's not good that man would be alone. And so God creates a helper, hmm. not a junior assistant get to get him coffee and iron his clothes. David said, the Lord is my helper. I shall not want. So God custom makes Eve, takes him out of Adam's side. And this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father, be joined to his wife. And here's the beautiful thing. They become one flesh, not one spirit, but one flesh. So in the mind of God, in only his genius, when God took the raw materials of earth uh, he didn't decide to start the perfect government, write the perfect constitution or the educational system or healthcare or industry, all the things we would do. But again, God and his genius joined one man to one woman and called it holy matrimony. It's my belief, and I think a lot of research bears this out, that the marriage institution we see in the Hebrew scriptures is the only institution that benefits everyone in the equation. The man, the woman, children who are often the missing ingredient, and all of society. Um, God, in his brilliance, said, if we could get the family right, it could be the foundational building blocks for a society whereby all peoples would benefit. Men, women, children, the elderly, the infirm, poor, and needy. And um, 
to set today we see that being torn apart. Mm-hmm. That fabric's being ripped apart right before our eyes, all in the name of freedom. Hmm. So maybe we can back up and unpack that a little bit. Um, what is it, Pastor Bob, about a man and a woman that's so important? I mean, really, what's wrong with a woman and a woman or a man and a man? Intimacy. Now, intimacy is a strange word, but it, it's getting to know someone which takes time. You know, obviously, a man and a man as friends can be intimate. David talked about his love for Jonathan being stronger than women. But Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, Adam said, yeah, this looks like me, but there's been a change. (laughs) Anatomically, we know um, God set up a sexual union where there could be intimacy between a man and a woman that no other exchange could happen. And, uh, of course, that would set up the idea of children and then community and so forth and so on. It's interesting when when you start to break down some of the myths, and I'm going to talk about um, some of what you shared in your opening about statistics. Um, If you think about it and you say, why do we marry at all? Some people say to propagate the race. Well, that can't be true because in some of our impoverished areas, um, where people aren't married, more kids are being born out of wedlock than in traditional marriages. Mm. Um, so some of the reasons people give for marriage are really skewed. There was a personal intimacy God wanted a man and a woman to know, and then there was the benefit to the culture. Today, people think marriage is a personal thing. It's just me and another person. It's all about me. It's what we're deciding no, that's not true because on your wedding day, people are invited. There's a public gathering. There's there's witnesses, your groomsmen and your maid of honor. There's a ring. There's a certificate. It's a civil marriage license. A minister or a civil servant presides over the wedding. You get a new term, a husband and a wife. That is a social understanding. There's tax benefits because married people add to a community. Now, let's take same-sex unions. I'm not going to call them marriage. Um, experts tell us if you get the right lawyers and people involved, uh, same-sex unions can have all the rights and privileges that partners want. Um, they can certainly adopt. You know, They can have a big party. But you know what they're really fighting for? Social recognition. Hmm. Because marriage is more than a man and a woman. It's, it's the social fabric that God built into our world. Hmm. So I've heard you say in the past that marriage is for one man and one woman. That sounds pretty simple. You know, why, why is this a genius thing? Well, again, it was genius in the mind of God because it, it was foundational to how communities would be built. For instance, it was one man with one woman who would produce children and it was till death do us part. So let's look at a vow. You know, vows are for richer or poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part. There's a, there's a beginning time, an ending time, and there's conditions. The beautiful thing about marriage is the day you say I do, you have no idea where your life is going. 
You could become a paraplegic the next day. You become rich, famous, whatever it is. But in God's genius, there was a permanence to this, and the glue was this vow. Uh, Hebrew weddings didn't really have a ceremony like we have today where there's a priest or a pastor presiding over it. It was more of a celebration, but the glue was always the covenant. Mm. You know, Proverbs, the book of Malachi, talks about a covenant of companionship. Uh, there was a, this idea of permanence. Permanence was was important because it meant the other person was never going to leave. Children would never see their mother or father walk out. Um, so God gave in his genius this scenario that produced a thousand benefits. Um, the whole idea of for richer for poorer, you know, think about this, shared resources. I run into young guys and I'll say, hey, I thought you were dating this girl. You guys going to get married? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm waiting until I make a certain amount of money. And I'm like, dude. You don't need to wait till you make the right amount of money. Listen, one rent payment, one electric bill, one gas bill, one. Th- there's pooled resources. Mm. You bring in specialized skills. Your husband brings in specialized skills. Um, statistics tell us there's savings advantages. If you if you look at retirement accounts, they're all greater for married people. Why? Because again, they have a long term approach. Most people that are single, uh, especially men, tend to blow a lot of money um, on all kinds of things, motorcycles, Disney World, all kinds of trips and you know things that you could do. But Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. Uh, when one's down, the other's up. Um, they can fight back to back. So all the evidence points to uh, married folks Again, this isn't, there's outliers, there's, this doesn't all work this way, but in general, there's a greater financial benefit. And that's why for the history of marriage, at least in the Western world, most marriages were arranged because of land and financial reasons. Mm. Uh, women were looked at as property, and there were dowries, and um, that's how marriage worked for most of the time on this planet. We talked about some of the economic benefits. What are the other benefits? The other benefits are huge. um, There's a book out called The Case for Marriage, actually a secular book. And we'll give you all the statistics you want to read. And statistics are tough because, you know, facts don't lie, but people do. And you can twist statistics. But most of the statistics you can look at will tell you that people are generally, married people are generally healthier. Here's what I mean. Um, Men who are married, now have a wife, probably children, they have a home. Um, Again, this is a long-term view of life, so they probably eat better, drive slower. Um, You have another partner to say, hey, I think you should get to the doctor. I don't think you should eat. You know, some nagging is actually good. You know, my wife, you know, to get her to go for mammograms and all, it's good that I'm there and vice versa. There's a sexual benefit. Um, you look at STDs and again, children born out of wedlock and, and all the ills that come from illicit sex. Um, first of all, first, first of all, sexuality is known within a marriage. It's not like, okay, when am I going to have sex? Where and with who? That's pretty much locked down now. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, so we've already talked about benefits economically. 
let's get back to your statistic on happiness. I think mm. I've seen statistics out there. Only 30% of people that are married are truly happy. Um, everything I've read is about 80%, three and four people are happily married. Mm. But again, where's the bar? You know, that, that, that's what you have to ask yourself. I mean, is happily married what you see in Hollywood? Um, is it something you contrived in your own mind? Or is it a relationship of companionship and mutual love and intimacy that has ups and downs and seasons and it's hard work and like everything else in life, it's worth working for? Hmm. There are studies that will tell us married people are happier, although for anybody single out there, there's the gift of singleness, there's the beauty of singleness, but um, you know, generally, um, again, there's less loneliness, mm. less anxiety, um, because you have a person to share life experiences with. Yeah. Yeah. But what about the reality of that 50% divorce rate? What's really happening right now? Yeah. The 50% divorce rate was never true. It was a projection from the seventies and eighties when states came up with no fault divorces. People thought, oh my gosh, everybody's going to get divorced. So they projected a 50% mm. divorce rate. There was also a year where they took all the people that were married and all the people that were divorced and it came out to 50%, which statistically you can't do it that way. From all the statistics I've looked at, the the divorce rate for first-time marriage is about 25%, which isn't good. It's a fourth. But a lot better than we thought. Mm. The other good news is since the 80s, divorce is in decline. And there was this horrible statistic that I never believed in where they said Christians divorce at the same rate as the world. So we mm. were getting divorced at 50%, which is totally false. Again, the greatest statistics will tell us that uh, Christian marriages are about one in eight and in divorce, which is a pretty good ratio. And uh, some of the questions you have to ask there, are these people real Christians, true Christians? Um, sometimes that's hard to navigate. Mm. But marriage has been dealt and unhand kind by some of the ways statistics have been read. Mm. One of the questions you have to ask yourself is, why do we keep doing it? If it's so bad, why do we keep doing it? People continue to get married. Now, there are options. There's this idea of, open marriages where you partner with somebody but you could date other people that's been a miserable failure there are cohabitation or living together statistics prove those people are less happy save less basically because there's nothing to keep it together there's no vow there's no skin in the game hmm. so god in his genius said if men women and and the missing ingredient is children if, if, if every party is going to be blessed in some way, then this is the system. Now, there's no doubt maybe in polygamy, uh, maybe the man makes out. <laughs> um, although polygamous relationships are expensive. So in the Bible, Solomon, King David, they, they had the wealth to pull that off. Uh, maybe a man is more sexually fulfilled in that regard. I don't believe that's true. But... I'm sure in that system, the woman's not making out great. Um, every other system fails for somebody in the equation. Hmm. But in marriage, everybody benefits. Hmm. 
in the beginning, you talked a little bit about how, you know, this system really benefits the elderly too, you know, really caring for, for extended family. And do you think that was part of God's design in the beginning? Absolutely. When the Bible says, therefore, you shall leave mother and father and cling to, to your spouse, it was a leaving of the heart because in biblical times, they usually added on to the home. So it, it was more of a uh, an extended family than our nuclear family today of a husband and wife and 2.4 kids. Mm. So, you know, those of uh, that are listening grew up in the 30s and 40s, remember, you know, row homes with you know, grandparents and aunts and uncles. Yeah. Again, shared resources, specialization in those cultures. Remember the Waltons, the, 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 the grandpop worked out in the farm and, Mm. um, everybody contributed. The grandmother was cooking. And so the mom could watch the kids Uh, all living under one roof, all living the same heat and, you know, paying one bill. Um, if the idea of in-laws, in-laws can help, you can help them. There, there was passing down of wealth. There's also the added extra benefit of single parents or, or kids that grow up without parents. You know, our home has been a place where other people could come. Kids could come. We watch football together. We take them on vacations. There's just something healthy about an intact family mm. and a marriage that benefits society. Yeah. Pastor Bob, I feel like we can't not acknowledge that probably many of our listeners are thinking, you know, this sounds great in theory, but I'm really struggling. Uh, what would you say to, to help some of our listeners? Yeah, we probably should have started out there because maybe some people have tuned us out thinking this is a pie-in-the-sky, Pollyannish type of rendering. But I think every once in a world we have to applaud our great God for giving mm-hmm. us an institution. Have we failed? Yes. Have we been selfish? Yes. Have we wanted our own way? Yes. And... So, you know, the fall created a lot of difficulty. Most of the marriages that we see in the Bible, David is not an exemplary husband or father. Um, so many of us, Martin Luther, I mean, you could, you could go down the line, so many great men of God failed in this. Women have failed. Mm. We've all been selfish. Uh, we've all, like sheep, have gone astray. There's people listening who are abused by parents, Um there are bad relationships. There's there's domestic violence. But could we all come back and say, despite what I've been through, and I grew up in a dysfunctional family. My parents have been divorced on both sides three times. Can we at least come back and say God had the right plan? Mm. Because if you look at our inner cities, if you look at Detroit and Cleveland and Philadelphia public schools, you, you could dump hundreds of millions of dollars into all society's problems every year and never solve them. And the people that know what they're talking about, and politicians can't say it because they have no way to fix it, everyone knows this is a social problem. Everyone knows the only way to fix public schools is to fix the family. But government can't fix the family. Mm. So they got to talk about money and education. So I think we need to applaud God and say God gave us the system now, we failed the system, so we're kind of reaping what we sown. Mm. But um, it was the right system. Yeah. Um, in Ephesians 5, you know, Paul writes that, that this covenant, this vow, reflects a greater covenant. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that reference I gave in Genesis, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife, pops up in the New Testament, speaking of Christ and the church, which now makes... 
the marriage relationship more profound. Because now we are the bride of Christ, and Christ is our husband. Mm. And that takes on profound significance when you get to a place like Romans 8, where it talks about the covenant that God has made with us, where there's nothing that's going to separate us from the love of Christ, not peril or sword or famine or nakedness. Yea, we are more than conquerors through him and loved us. Jesus is never going to leave us. That That's great news. You know, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, it was life-altering. To know that regardless of what I do, he'll never turn from me is wonderful. Um, there's other great precious promises that, you know, that will never be taken out of the palm of his hand. Hmm. So I think the metaphor is beautiful. It's wonderful. Bible talks about it, you know, this wedding celebration in heaven and this genius of marriage is translated to what God has done for us. So mm-hmm. it is one of the rich and greatest metaphors that we'll ever see. Hmm. Now, is it really possible though to love your wife as the as Christ loved the church? Well, nothing's humanly possible without the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, these things. Obviously, we fail. You know, Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I don't want to do. A wretched man that I am. So we're never going to love our spouses as Christ loved the church, but it, but it should be our aim. Hmm. You know, God has given us this one person in life to nourish and cherish. Now, that doesn't mean we sit around in pajamas and uh, feed them bonbons all day, you know. Um, Christ loves his church, but what do we see in Revelation? He corrects the church. Mm. There's commendation, there's correction, there's there's admonition. So I have to encourage my wife to fulfill what God's, her commitment, what God's given her. Um, my job's not to spoil her. My job's to help her become the greatest woman she can be in Christ. Mm. And sh- her job is to help me become the man I can be in Christ. Um, the beauty of a marriage relationship is, you know, I've, I've been called to pastor a church, to build a church. She can keep the home fires burning, raise the kids at times where I can't be around. To be my help me to become the man I need to be, I can help her become the woman she needs to be. Mm. So I think when we look at Ephesians 5, there's that mutual submission. There's that, there's that mutual love we have for one another. One of the problems today, again, the millennials, they look at marriage as... Um, antiquated you know some feminists will say well it's akin to slavery or sexual exploitation or or women are devalued so they can't have careers and so forth Uh, you know look at the proverbs 31 woman um, just just a beaming example i think the problem women face today is they want it all Mm. motherhood is a wonderful calling it's time consuming. You are forging and forming these children that will grow up and be adults and will go out and hopefully find their place in the world. That takes as much effort as me building a business. It would almost be akin to say, I'm going to build this business and then become a rocket scientist at the same time. Hmm. So I think when, when we look at Ephesians 5, God's a God of order. 
we all have the same value. We have different functions. Mm. And again, a reflection of God's genius in putting that man and woman together in the first place. Uh, Pastor Bob, as we wrap up, any final thoughts on this? Yeah, my final thought is that, you know, God gave a gift to the human race. And there's a thing called common grace. So even non-believers have experienced the grace of marriage mm. and what a wedding brings. I I was listening to a prominent business lecturer and author talking about he and his wife have been married for 31 years and they feel like they're just getting started. And I looked at this man who I know doesn't have our spiritual heritage or read the scriptures and such. And I thought if that man could accept the common grace of marriage and be longing to be the husband he needs to be, how much more we as men of God who know the scriptures and have experienced the love of Christ should not have the same objective and same goal. Mm. Pastor Bob, thanks for your time. Um, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, you can reach us at radio at ccdelco.com and we'll see you next week.